With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. As you see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guys. June 6th. No, it's June 21st? June 6th is our last show. I'm looking at June's. I'm looking at our last show online right here. So that's why I uh, got caught in the faux pas right from the beginning. Less than 10 seconds in, I've, I've messed up. Classic spit move, dude. It is June 21st. You're listening to Spit, the podcast which features David Lee Scales and Scott Bass talking surf news, all things surf, and probably a lot of other stuff too, including books that we're reading, wine that David's drinking. Girls that he's seeing. What? Yeah. Have we ever talked about that on the show? Yeah. You try to call me out on it once or twice, but um, not wine that I'm drinking currently while we're recording. It's eight in the morning, so I'm drinking my coffee still. Yes, and as always recording from the library of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center here in San Clemente. Yeah, Shaq. Surfingheritage.org, I think, is their website. We're sitting in the library and obviously surrounded by books, leather-bound books and mahogany chairs. Smells of richness and culture in here. Absolutely. Um, Smells like chop hop in here, really. (laughs) So, by the way, just to keep listeners updated, Spit now has its own podcast feed. You can find it on iTunes. Search Spit. I um, just... For your edification, Scott, I only I put spit initially, and it, it was very hard to find via the surf function. So I added the word or the words a surf podcast after because we needed the word surf in the title for searching functions. It's still actually pretty hard to find because it's brand new. Um, but as more people subscribe to it, it'll pop populate to the top of the list. So okay. search spit if you want to subscribe to the show. Scott and I are still going to um, publish it on our separate podcast feeds. Down the Line Radio and Surf Splendor um, for the next month or two, just because that's where people are most familiar with getting the show. And we want to make sure that if they don't catch a few episodes, that they don't lose track of Spit. So we will um, put it on here, promote it on here, but also be publishing it on Spit's feed and just kind of get everybody to migrate over to Spit's feed. And what we'll probably do, right, is have a link on each of our sites, which directs them to the feed so they can subscribe. Completely. But for everybody listening to the sound of my voice, open up iTunes, search Spit, find it, and click subscribe, because eventually that's the only place the show will be. Very well done. We've got a big show for you. As always, um, there will be some must-see moments, Cooker Duke. Some news from Europe, of course, the outer-known Fiji Pro, um, Huntington Beach again in the news, and um, much more. Um, Let me start, however, with an email I got from Fritz Smith. He says, Aloha, Bassie, big fan of the show, long-time listener. Hey, 
I was listening to a skate podcast recently and found it interesting that the writers they interview will not be afraid to call out brands that have done them wrong and or other skaters that they think have bad style or don't like. And I got to thinking about something you always bring up, which would never, would this ever happen in pro surfing? Going along the lines of the theme you always mention, where the pro surfers seem to be, we're all just best friends, traveling together, everything is cool with everyone. And it simply can't be that way. It, it's not always the case. Keep up the good work, and thanks for putting out the show, Fritz. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, he kind of nailed my thoughts is that it's it's uh, everybody's very PC and seems to be able to walk the PR tight wire rather successfully. And it's as if they have um, agents behind them telling them what to say and when to say it. And, you know, frankly, from a branding perspective, if I was a manager of a pro surfer, I'd be like, dude, just keep it, keep it vanilla, yeah. keep it really mellow. There's no need to call anyone out, you know. And of course, you and I, I mean, we can't get enough Bobby Martinez's in the world, you know, like, you know, the beauty of his honesty is brutal and is bad for his own brand, perhaps, as it was. Uh, that kind of stuff is refreshing, you know, yeah. in this world that we live in, pro surfing. Well, here's Bobby's unfortunate situation is that he's not a huge, he's not a great self-promoter. So... We want to support Bobby and we want to kind of get behind him and we would allow him to have a career outside of being sponsored by one of those major companies, except he's got nothing to sell and he's got no way for us to promote him. He doesn't even have an Instagram account for us to follow him on. So I think I don't know. I don't know enough about skating to make a comment about the the infrastructure of their industry, but I would assume if there's outspoken professional skaters, it's because their income isn't fully tied to one brand you know, who they might offend by making statements. And I would suggest to you that outspoken might not even be the right term. I think what David and I and Fritz Smith and the rest of us are looking for is intelligent commentary about whatever the case may be and and honesty. And that's what's sort of lacking. In other words, we're not getting, hey, you know what? I, I really don't like that guy's style. Now, style is a subjective opinion. My personal opinion is I don't like his style. He's kind of got a stink bug style. Right. He right. does his off the lips that way. That's just personally not. Now, he's a nice person. I'm not attacking him personally. I'm just saying that the way he applies himself on the wave isn't my favorite. You know, in, intelligent conversation, intelligent opinion, um, honesty, that kind of thing would go a long way rather than just, you know, ugh. Because effing lame, because of... Yeah, I wonder how much of what Fritz is talking about that he saw is actually intelligent, though. Yeah, I know. I question that, too. But I agree with you. That's what I want. I'm just not sure that um, that's what we always get. That's not necessarily what we got with Bobby Martinez, you know? No, I agree. Which, I mean, I, what, that's, you know, when you brought up Bobby Martinez, I sort of went right to really what we're looking for is honest, intelligent commentary. Just tell us how you feel. I'm, we're not asking you to attack either a brand or whatever, you know. I think honesty actually is what it is, or, or at the very minimum, sincerity. Yes, sincerity would be good. You know, because... We, there, we definitely got that from Bobby. Definitely. And there's so much behind-the-scenes workings in the surf industry that don't get discussed in the media. That's where we want the um, veil to be revealed, you it's know. It's also incestuous, you know. It reminds me of Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated, the magazine, was great because... They could talk about any sport, any issue, because the 
advertising dollars behind the magazine weren't sport related. In other right. words, the advertising dollars were from right guard for men mm-hmm. deodorant rather than Nike or you know. So there wasn't this incestuous relationship, which there always is in skateboarding, in surfing, in these subcultural little sports and, and lifestyles that sort of count on the ad dollars to perpetuate the marketing machine. Right. So you and I don't have any um, industry funding for this show. We have no funding at all, actually. <laughs> but we're too honest. So, well, Mike, that is my question to you is um, this would be the perfect platform to spill those secrets and those inside trading Kind of that that inside trading information. Do you feel comfortable doing that on this show, knowing that our income isn't tied to it? Well, you know what, my income's sort of tied to the okay. <laughs> I'm tied to the surfboard industry, the manufacturing industry, and I'm proud of it. You know, and I'm a big fan of surfboards and the builders of surfboards and the designers of surfboards. Now, um, you know, I have in the past had a, um, and I sometimes. Um, wonder why this is, but I have in the past had a problem with other companies and corporations and so-called brands co-opting surfing as their own. When what they build or what they promote has absolutely nothing to do with riding a wave. And that's where I kind of go, really? You know, like hair dye? You know, what does that have to do with surfing? You Mm -hmm. know, or whatever the case may be. And I've always felt that, look, the surf industry is really simple. It's hard goods. It's the things that are essential to you and I riding waves. For instance, I would suggest to you, even sort of as an outlier, surf forecasting is semi-essential. Of course, surfboards, leashes, wax, wetsuits, board shorts. These things are essential to surfing. This is the surf industry. These other things, um, and you can go so far as to say sandals, clothing, hats, um, you know, some of these things aren't necessarily essential to surfing. And um, and I think that's where there's a little, I have a little bit of issue is let's keep it real. Speaking of honest, let's be honest. You know what I mean? Like socks are not crucial to surfing. Now, I love socks. I wear socks every day. I have nothing against socks, but Let's not co-opt something that we all hold so true and dear to our hearts. It just feels wrong. Yeah. Okay, so the question is, do you feel encumbered by, um, does your speech feel encumbered by those relationships that you have in the surf industry? No, because um, the answer is no. Okay. I don't feel encumbered by Uh, my relationships. I feel like there's been a number of times on the show, even though I advocate for uh, speaking freely and honesty and all that sort of things. There's been a number of times on this show where I've backed off topics that I just felt like, uh, but okay, actually now that I'm thinking about it, I guess it's because maybe I didn't have all of the evidence in place to really make a, um, I don't know, a completely correct statement at the time, you know, or, if I write down my thoughts in advance, I can kind of say things correctly and edit them, not um, to prevent information from leaking out, but just to be correct in my statement. And so if maybe I didn't write it or prep for the subject and you just bring it up in the show, I'm apprehensive to riff on it because I might just misspeak. You I think must you- spit. You must spit loud. You must spit proud. Begin the spitting. Fair enough, dude. You're right. That is what the, that's the ethos of the show is spit. 
Yeah. And understanding that spit can be cleaned up. You can wipe it clean. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it leaves residue, Scott. It does. Sometimes it does. Sadly, it does. Um, By the way... You, um, last, the last show that we recorded together, you gave your core surfing values. I've heard a lot of, uh, I, I got a call yesterday from a friend of mine. Really? Who works over at Surfline that said, oh, I was listening to the podcast and your core surfing principles and beliefs and he enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. Wow. You're starting a movement. No, I don't know. I mean, everybody, we all have these things, you know, and they sort of are based in our core beliefs as human beings, you know, the, how we live our life, the principles that we base our life upon. And then they kind of roll over into our surfing lives. Yeah, but even though we have them, we don't necessarily think about it. I mean, they might exist, but it's not like you're analyzing it consciously on a day-to-day. And I actually had never, until you brought it up, and I told you I'd prep some for this show, which I did. But even then, I really had to think about it. And now i found that just the intention of um, setting them, I think will reap its own benefits uh, moving forward. Like now that I know them, it's like, oh, this is important to me. Why don't I act this way all the time? Because this is a core tenet of my beliefs. Yeah, that's what you'll find, at least in my case, is that there were some pretty glaring contradictions. Mm -hmm. For instance, in my life, I want to live, um, you know, a service-oriented, tolerant, kind life towards my fellow man. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going surfing, and I'm and my surfing beliefs are, let's say one of them is, don't tell anyone where the waves are because right. it'll get crowded. Well, that's inherently selfish, and that goes against my what I said was my principle for living my life. Totally. And so that's sort of the neat um, thing that happens when you go through this exercise is that you start to realize that surfing is a pretty selfish, um, egocentric, prideful Uh, It's not something necessarily that I'm proud of in some ways. Well, I'm going to tease that apart because I disagree. It can be, but I've tried in my core values. I actually teased that apart because I struggled with the exact same thing. So um, I'm going to, this isn't a value. This is just kind of a mission statement before I get into the values. And I did three values just for brevity's sake. So number one, um, or my mission statement is that the role of surfing in my life is to reset and realign my values, period. The role isn't to have fun. The role isn't um, to get fit. It's really a therapy session like that. And I'm not saying that was it when I started doing it. I'm saying now as I reflect on 20 years of doing it, um, the physical activity and the being exposed to all the elements in the ocean and the working for it serves as a therapy session that has only ever benefited my being and it's elevated my awareness of all things in my life. So that is the role that surfing plays in my life. Now, core surfing value number one, my experience should be passive, not assertive. So the the experience of surfing should be basking within, not taking from. And it's a subtle difference, but an important one. I should have the intention uh, or I should not have the intention of taking waves. I should always maintain a posture of being a passenger and taking in the surroundings. Too often, I paddle out there and I just try to dominate, you know? And that's actually when my worst surfing is done. When it's like, I'm sizing up the other guys in the lineup, I'm positioning, it's super competitive, and then once I'm on the wave, I'm trying to rip the thing. That's when my worst surfing is done, and it's when I actually enjoy it the least. So, 
um, you know when you get a new board, the worst thing you can do is try to impose your will on it and try to surf it like you know how to surf. What you really want to do is just stand there and kind of let the board find its own rhythm. And once you feel it, you can start applying, tapping the gas, tapping the brakes. But a well-crafted surfboard should be able uh, to guide the way. And you, as a good surfer, should be able to receive feedback from that. And so when you're trying to enforce your will, whether it's on the board or in the session or on the wave, you just look like a kook. So my entire posture when entering the water should be passive, that of a passenger and grateful for the experience, not that of a consumer. That's a cool one. And I boiled that down and uh, to be a kook is to be a consumer. Mm-hmm. Which means Kooka I'm shells a kook and all. a lot of the time. <laughs> but isn't it true? I think it is. Did you just spit? That was the first you spit. told me to. We just got the first spit. David, some little saliva just came out of his mouth. Right? Look, it you're did. turning red. No, it totally did. You spit. I saw it come dribble it out. Well, because I'd just taken a swig of coffee and then tried to talk instantly, and bang, it happened. <laughs> there's, there's no excuses, dude. It's not an excuse. I'm explaining what happened. It's life imitating art, dude. The I art of the podcast. what happened. Spit came out of your mouth. I wish you would have caught it on video. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Talking about kooks and uh, consumers. Yeah. Well, I like, I like, is that your first one? That was tenant number one. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, by the way, I got a text from my buddy the other, after we recorded, I think our last show. And he's like, dude, it's a love fest between you guys. He's like, the animosity and the, the adversarial nature is gone. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. We're going to have to offend one another pretty quick here and get back on track. You're not allowed to like my core surfing beliefs. You're supposed to be against them. Well, the fact of the matter is you took mine. That's true, actually. So I'm following your lead. You need to come up with something original. Well, that that one was original, even though they're, your, they're similar to your beliefs. Uh, so number two, surfing should be egalitarian. It should be for all. There ought not be a caste system with... I mean, we all know what the caste system is. Short borders are on top. Long borders come in a close second, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, body surfers come in third. SUPers come in fourth. And boogie borders, not body borders, boogie borders, are at the very bottom of the rung. We will call it fifth place, but I would just prefer to call it last place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the reality is there shouldn't be that system in place. Um, and the reality... This is in the perfect world. And as you stated, I know that the vast majority of my surfing experience um, is not actually living by my beliefs. I'm trying to live up to my beliefs. So my belief is that it should be egalitarian and that it should be equal for all, but it isn't. And I'm, I'm actually perpetuating the fact that it isn't. I do create barriers for others. And I do go into the water looking at people uh, differently and judging them differently. I try to block people actually, I, you know what I mean? So, um, I, but I also know that when I do that, I don't have an improved surfing experience. In fact, I have a lesser surfing experience and the most enjoyable experiences that I have are when some random dude is hooting me on that actually elevates my spirit. And so I should be doing that for those people. And some of the best experiences I have is when it's in the dead of summer you know, like Fourth of July weekend and I'm in the water and it's just like I've given up on all of whatever I have in December 
And I'm just like, oh man, there's so, I couldn't find parking. There's so many people here. I'm just going to paddle out and catch some knee high wave on the inside. And then when I do that, there's kids in boogie boards playing in the shore break that I have to dodge. Those are actually the best experiences. When I relinquish all of the cast system idea that I have, that's when it's the most fun. Where it's like I'm not battling for set waves, battling for priority. So I need to live by that in December, you know, when there's plenty of waves to go around. And um, I'll just give you a quick story. I was surfing on the weekend and in like river jetties kind of between Huntington and Newport. So there's kind of a lot of people in the water. The water's warmed up a lot. Sun's out. It's Father's Day weekend, you know. And um, on this peak that I was surfing, there was a little crew of guys who kind of knew what they were doing. And so it was a little competitive. So I've got my head down, just like game face on, you know, (laughs) vying for my competitive advantage. And um, there was one wave that I was deepest on, but I was actually a little too deep. And so one guy who was in better positioning, but not in priority positioning, he and I were both paddling for it. And his buddy hooted him in. Like before we even like got to the gritty part of the battle, his buddy hooted him in, which is kind of a dick move towards me. It's kind of like, hey, I'm hooting for my buddy who should be the guy who goes on this wave, even though he's not deepest. And I took that as an affront. So it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because that's the point we're at. I do. So So sad. How old are we again? Exactly. So it it only escalates from there, devolves from there, where it's like now it's like full paddle battle. Every wave, it's like we're trying to jockey. And then we're just out of position on every wave that comes in for the majority of this session. Towards the end of the session, one of those guys was deeper than me, but almost in the same situation where he's deeper than I am, but I have better kind of a better section of the wave. And he hooted me in. It was like he knew that he was too deep. So he's like, hey, go, go. And I was like, oh, this is my at, this is my enemy, and he's hooting me into this thing. So I went, and I surfed the wave. And when I kicked out, I was like, all of the animosity that I felt for those guys was gone. And I felt grateful that he hooted me in, but then I also felt like a dick for having the posture that I had for the last 45 minutes, you know? And it was just like, dang it, what was I doing? And maybe they didn't have that posture at all. Maybe I manufactured this entire session in my head, this competitive session in my head. I should have, he he broke down the barrier and I should have been living with that all along. The fact that I'm not is only ruining my own session. They're probably completely unaware of it. So um, tenant number two, surfing should be egalitarian, no caste system. All right, core belief number three, surf every day, period. And that is my new mantra. This might not apply to everybody else, but I don't surf enough, dude. And it gets worse and worse as I get older. And I've actually gone through phases in my life, of course. Um, But I've found that I'm too often not doing the things that bring me joy. And consequently, I live every day kind of with a level of regret or fear of missing out or anxiety that prevents me from kind of contributing my best self to relationships, to my employers. It blocks my goals. Surfing is one thing that provides ceaseless dividends. And I think about it all day, every day, yet I don't do it nearly as often as I could or as often as I should. Are you surfing today? Um, I might get a chance in the afternoon, depending on the wind. But <laughs> but no, so that's my exact point is we're, we met at 8 o'clock this morning. It gets light at what? 6.15? Yeah. 
Dude, so I could have, and we're in San Clemente, which is 45 minutes from my home. So I could have driven down to San Clemente, been here at 6.15, surfed for well over an hour, and now been here to record. But I didn't because I was like, well, I have a long day ahead. And so I'm playing the long game where it's like I need energy for work and for whatever else. So I'm not going to surf in the morning. But when I get home in the afternoon, if it's not windy, then I'll go get an evening session. But that's not... Dude, this is the thing that provides joy and makes me the best me. Why don't I prioritize it and put it in the morning? Yeah. So core surfing belief, number three, surf every day, period. That's a good one. Well, not everybody has the luxury. Like a lot of people who live away from the coast, or even if they live near the coast, maybe they live in a place that doesn't have waves every day. I live one mile from, well, like mile and a half from the beach and a beach where there's waves 350 days in the year, you know? You know, I can't surf every day. Why not? It's just because my age, it's like if I surfed every day, about day four, I'm just first of all, I'm not surfing very good on day four because yeah. I'm, I'm sore, I'm a little slower to my feet, I'm, I'm just kind of worn out. Yeah, I need a day off. But again, that's a luxury that I I, I can more or less <clears throat> excuse me surf every every chance I want. With proper yoga regimen and diet, I would argue that um, you could go seven days a week, dude. Yeah. You know. No? I mean, I could. (laughs) I mean, you know, when you go on a trip, like to Indo or Mexico or whatever, you're in the water every day. And I just noticed that around day four, I'm like, ah, you know what? I could maybe just surf in the afternoon. You know what? You also enjoy it less, I find. I would agree with that. It's weird, right? Yeah. With all things in life, moderation, right? That's it. I mean, I mean, I do find like if I haven't surfed in a while that it's a more impactful experience. But all right, Scott, core surfing values. Good job. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, man. You started a trend. Yes. Um, let's get into the outer known Fiji Pro, shall let's do we? It. Yep. Um, my thoughts are: it was a great event, and so much that the last day was worth the wait. Okay. The obviously the fifteen days or whatever it was, it was a lot, right? In between, it just seemed like this event went on and on and on and on. Well, and it was on. like round one went off with a bang, and then there was a lot of down days. Then we kind of got through a few rounds, and then a lot of down days before the finals. So, if it was a great event because the last day was worth the wait, I started to stew on this for a minute. I. Now more than ever, I'm completely sold on what I said last week, which is from a fan's perspective, from you and I, from our perspective, from the perspective of our listeners, you know who the surf stars are? The star, Actually, the stars of the show are the waves for the WSL. It is no longer the pro surfers. I'm not, I haven't bought in over the top on the surfers. Great waves are the most important factor. When great swell meets a great location, this makes a great event. The surf should dictate the future of the WSL, not pro surfers. And this is that new WSL um, paradigm that I spoke of last time we did the show. A whole new outlook on what the WSL is about. And that is that the surf is going to dictate everything Nine events will focus on quality waves wherever they may be found. Here's a great example of this. What's perhaps the greatest in the last, say, four years? What was perhaps the greatest single broadcast moment in the WSL's history? 
I know you have one, and I'm trying to think of what yours is, but I would just off the top of my head say Owen Wright's um, uh, performance at Cloudbreak two years ago. Okay, where he got that, two two perfect heats. That, that's a great example. The final against Julian, that's, particularly. That's a great example. Um, that can certainly be argued. But what I said is, what's their greatest broadcast moment? Right. Not their greatest heat. Right. And the greatest broadcast moment in WSL history is when Cloudbreak was 20 to 25 feet. And a slew of about 30 really good surfers charged it. And they broadcast it. They, they called the event off. Yes, when they didn't run the event. When they didn't run the event. And that was the greatest moment in WSL history in the last five years. So great that they made an entire movie about it. Mm-hmm. And... That, in a nutshell, completely crystallizes my point. It's not because you know what? You can throw great, there are great surfers everywhere. There, you know, great surfers are, we're not at a loss for great surfers. What we're at a loss for is when great swell meets great locations to provide epic conditions. And that's what the WSL needs to focus on. And, and a, another way to even further clarify my point is, the women, you know, I'm not much for watching the pro women surfers and it's for whatever reason. However, when they have the event at Honolulu Bay, I watch it. And why is that? Because the waves are really friggin' good. Right. And so I think this has been lost on them and they need to kind of figure this out. It's a good point. This needs to change. And if it if they don't make the change, somebody else will because it's not that hard anymore. To find great swell, meeting great location, and putting great surfers on it. Right. Pat Gadowskis on 25-foot cloud break or Ace Buchanan, whatever. Who's Ace Buchanan? Bucking. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see what I mean? See what I mean? It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. Patrick Buchanan. (laughs) (laughs) Just give us great swell, meeting great location. Believe me, there will be great surfers showing up. Skelton Bay is a great example of that. And, hey, let's put the greatest 16 guys in the the world in those conditions, which we can do. Let's put Owen Wright and Jordy and John John in those conditions, which we can do as the WSL. It just really crystallized for me because this event just dragged and slogged on. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a great point. Um, so why are we doing events at Rio? Yeah. Know? we Everything needs to be focused on great swell meeting great locations. Right. The, the great surfing will happen. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah, totally. Well, great surfing did happen. And I think you and I really owe an apology to Mr. Matt Wilkinson. The guy's been winning events for two years now. And we, up until this very show right now... We just continue to talk crap about him. We just continue to go, eh, I think it was a fluke. Well, yeah, he won on his backhand, but we've never, he hasn't done well on his forehand. Dude, the guy has now done well. Backside, frontside, big waves, little waves, like against Kelly, against Felipe, against everybody. The guy is on fire for, and by the way, for years on end now. So, we owe Wilco. This is my official apology to Matt Wilkinson. You are ripping, and I'm a huge fan. Okay, let me chime in, if I may. Bring it. Um, 
I read something really good this morning. I want to say it, it was either on Stab or it might have been Marcus Sanders on Surfline. I forget exactly where I read it. But the gist of the article was Wilco leading the tour now, having the yellow jersey being in the number one position as of today, has such a different feel than it did last year when he won the first two legs of the Australian leg of the tour. The it's a good point. Then you were kind of like, what? Even after Bells, you're like, really? Right. <laughs> this can't last. No. And it didn't. Right. Um, this time around, it seems as if he's built a foundation. Now he's in the for more or less in the middle of the season winning a major event in major surf and surfing lights out. Although I don't think he should have won the final. I'll get to that in a moment. But I would agree with either Marcus or Sean Doria, whoever it was that wrote this piece, that First of all, you're right. I owe him an apology. Um, although, <laughs> wait, hold on. Let me Don't be up. too quick Let to apologize. <laughs> I think we were writing him off last year, and I think it proved out. This year, we were sort of basing everything on last year and going, there's no way. Yeah. Now it feels like, hey, you know what? There's more than a way. There's actually a will and a coach. and A, and a will co, some might say. Right. There's a Wilco, a company called Wilco. A Wilco and away. Yeah. And, and Micro Hall and this whole, there just seems to be more legitimacy to his first place standing at this point, where it's very much possible that he could be the world champion and well-deserved. If he is, dude, I, w- I will be the biggest fan because I like being proven wrong. You know, like there's nothing better than kind of seeing somebody pick themselves up by their bootstraps against all odds and then bring it. And it's awfully American, isn't it? The individualism that yeah. it takes, the spirit of I can do. Well, it was all summed up in that final, really. I mean, he got flogged for the first 10 minutes, like smashed, you know, on the inside, set waves to the head. And I just thought, well, it's been a long day of surfing. And with that beating... He's not going to be able to like regain composure and surf to the level that he needs to because Connor O'Leary already had like an eight something. So Wilco's back was against the wall, not only from getting flogged, but on the scoreboard. And then he regained composure, got out there, got the set wave and surfed it to the same ability that he would if he was fresh as a daisy. And that showed a level of grit that I definitely haven't seen from him before, and that really I only reserve for guys like Gabriel Medina and Adriano de Souza, you know? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, if you want to get into that last I do. exchange, um, there was like four minutes left. Wilco needed a 7-3-7, I think it was. Okay. And um, if you go back to the Heat Analyzer and watch the last two waves of the event, the first wave is caught by Conor O'Leary. Connor O'Leary, by the way, each wave has three turns in it. They each do three turns. Okay. And Connor O'Leary's wave, uh, the money turn on Connor's wave was the second turn. The first turn was a top floater, a critical top floater where perhaps the fin is even released. It was a setup turn for a very, very powerful drop wallet hack engaged rail turn in the critical part of the wave that even had Rosie and... And Blakey going, oh, man, that was a big-ass turn. Mm -hmm. And then the second turn, or the last turn of the three for Conor O'Leary was another tight pocket top hack with a 
a release into the real shallow part of I, I remember kebabs. that. It was like doubling up, so he kind of had to back off on yes. the second part of the turn and yes. just free draw, fall, free fall yeah. a little bit. Push on the tail and just kind of make the draw. So those were his three turns. Right. Um, they were all critical. They were there was no you know, he did what he had to do in those moments. Right. And he got a seven point one seven. Okay. A minute later, Wilco gets his last wave. He needs a seven point three seven. He has three turns. Wilco does his first turn is the money turn. He kind of drives down the line for a couple of, you know, 30, 30 yards, gets a bunch of speed and lays into a beautiful turn. Then does another nice turn, you know, just not as good as the first one, but a nice turn. And then quickly finishes it with where he actually kind of connects with the lip more at the closeout section and, and also does a bit of a free fall and claims it. Um, could it have been a seven three? Perhaps was it better than Connor seven point one seven? I don't think so. If you base both the waves off the money turn, the two money turns, I believe Connor's money turn was way more robust. Okay, than the money turn. The money turn for Wilco, a beautiful swooping, gapping, gouging semi-roundhouse turn in the top of the wave was smooth and buttery and incredible, but didn't have the level of perhaps criticalness that Connor's turn had. So if you base those two, if you take the other two turns for each of them and just throw them out, like they both did good completed turns, but the two money turns, I believe Connor's money turn was obviously uh, bigger and more critical. And that's why I base my opinion on, I don't think that Wilco should have turned the heat. Mm. Uh, now, was it a 7.3? It could be argued that there was a tie there. Was it? But if, it, if Connors was a 7.1, and I'm saying that it was better than Wilco's last wave, then Wilco's wave was a 7.1 or a 6.9. Or, and so I was surprised. It's interesting. I think this is the next step for the judges where it's not enough to say, oh, it's just splitting hairs now, and um, I could have seen it one way, and I could have seen it the other. It's not enough just to allow that to be the decision at this point. There needs to be some systematic and objective way to score these things. Like I think you actually did a good job by saying it all comes down to the money turn. Now let's analyze that money turn. Who did a better money turn? Like that, we both know even maybe subconsciously for the judges, that's what we're really analyzing is that one turn. I think maybe that needs to be focused on in the judging booth, you know? Um, Understanding that the other two turns were equally sort of generic, and let's just throw those away. It'd be one thing I, if there was two money turns on one wave. You and I could have done those turns. Well, you we, could have. <laughs> we, we can't do the money turn, though, you know? By the way, Wilco got an 8.03 on his last wave. Almost a point more. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. And and was it an excellent... Now it's in the excellent range. Right. Was it an excellent ride? Right. And if it was, why wasn't Connors' last wave? And by the way, the 7.17 Connors, that didn't even go into a scoring line. Hmm. That was a throwaway for Connor. You got to... Um, I wonder, too, oftentimes... You see this happen where it comes down to splitting hairs, and the the decision always goes to the guy we already know and love. Thank you. It does, though, I doesn't know. it? Yes. So it's like we're going to make Connor work for it. And so if Connor 
does like you have to knock the champ out. Yeah, you can't just show up in your first final and then win. That's BS. On splitting hairs. And I know that that's not a stated rule and that the judges aren't intentionally doing that, but we always see it happen. The 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 tie goes to the guy who we already know and love. So Well, wouldn't you I know you would agree with me that Connor O'Leary surfed better throughout the entirety of the event than Wilco did. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I probably would agree he'd with that. He'd be Parco, he'd be Kelly. He surfed Dude. like a veteran the whole way. He was looking incredible. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's, um, I told you at the beginning of this year that it's going to be kind of the year of the rookies. Like this is the best rookie class we've seen in years. And I feel like your response the is like- the rookie. Right, now it is. But at the time, I was like, this is a great lineup of rookies. And you're like, yeah, you say that every year. Well, Ethan, what's his name? I know. Dead last. And that was my guy. That was my one pick. I was like, oh, this kid, Ethan's going to like kill it. Ian Govea, sort of not so great. The the surprise is Frederico Marias, this tall, lanky sort of. I don't even know where he is in the rankings at this point. He's like 18th or something. So Ian Govea and Zeke Lauer both in 23rd. Jean, Jean DeRue is in 27th. And Connor O'Leary, the guy that we both completely overlooked, is in eighth place. Yeah, Connor O'Leary is going to stay on tour. I doubt Zeke Lau will stay on tour. I know Ethan's not going to stay on tour. You're right, Frederico's 18th. Unless they qualify through the QS somehow. Yeah, so Connor O'Leary won the QS last year. And I think what he has more than anything, more than anybody else, is just competitive prowess, consistency. Luke Egan as a coach. Yeah, and obviously incredible talent. But a lot of all those guys have great talent. You know, there's no question. Um, So I... um, I don't know, though, like going... So we got Wilco in first place. John John Florence is in second. Jordy's in third. Adriano's in fourth. And we're going into J-Bay. I... Jordy in third, I want to believe. You know, it's like going into J-Bay. Jordy at J-Bay is among my favorite things to watch. But the guy disappoints me so often that I'm so apprehensive to put my heart into it because it's been broken time and time again. And then Wilco, on the other hand, he's made the semis out there. And Wilco's the guy who continually 
uh, upsets my fantasy team. So I'm kind of thinking I need to kibosh on Wilco and put him on your team. And he, I kind of need to get behind Wilco at this point. There have been five events, five different winners. The current top five, Wilco, John, John, Jordy, Adriano, and Owen. There's a mere 600 points that separates them. I would be wary of putting Wilco on my team because I'm like you. <laughs> like we, we just apologize, but we still haven't bought in. Right. Uh, but mostly, more than anything, because there's been five different winners, five different events, this just feels like the year that like Kyle Belly could win J-Bay or Connor Coffin yeah. or, or even Zeke Lau, now that I've thrown him under the bus. Yep. You know, like, it just feels like it's going it, to, which is kind of a neat thing that at the end of the year, we're going to see five or six or seven or eight guys that could go into pipeline and take it. Yep. That's, I think that's the way it was last year. There was five. Um, By the way, of Mick, Kelly, and Parco, at the start of the year, if I said who's going to be doing the best midway through, would you have taken Parco? Heck no. He would have been a distant, distant third. Exactly. Uh, Mick would have been first in my picks. Kelly would have been second. And Parco would be a long, distant third. Um, I've got more to say about Parco at the end of the show, but I will say right now, is he your kook? Uh, no. <laughs> He's your I, duke. It might be. Um, <laughs> I told you. I'll tell you at the end. Okay. He has really won me over. Like, I have always loved Parko, his style as a surfer, but... He's reasserted his place at the top. Like for a guy who, after his world title, just kind of floated in the bottom teens in the top twenties of the tour, and we just see him aiming for retirement, basically. And earlier this year, um, on Aki's podcast, Aki accidentally revealed that Tar- that Parko's planning to retire at the end of this year. And so I don't think Parko's commented on that, but it's kind of like, all right, well, this is Parko's final year. That's fine. He's had a great career. He's a world champ, but. Now I feel like that he's relinquished any goals for a world title. He's actually surfing better than he's ever surfed. He's surfing actually as good as he's ever surfed, but he's competing better than he's ever competed. And um, taking out young whippersnappers, you know, like with his traditional power and flow. And I love it. Like his surfing is so beautiful to watch. I'm happy to watch it throughout the entire event, not watch him lose in the third round. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that what's happened here is that it's it's a mental thing. He's had that letting go moment that Kelly Slater yeah. had in 06 or whatever, where yeah, he's just is. like, look, it's my last year. I'm just having a good time. And oh, by the way, guess what happens when I have a good time? I win because yeah. I'm really just carefree. But he's also a highly competitive Australian. So he looks at it like, yeah, I'm going down to the pub to play snooker. And I'm going to kick their ass because yeah. what do I got to lose? I'm just having a pint. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the attitude that he's taking into these events. Like, hey, I rip. I've been here for 30 years or what? You know, I've been here for, on tour <laughs> 15 years. I absolutely rip. And I'm retiring. So let's go have fun. And yeah. he's got nothing to lose. And he's surfing like he doesn't. And it's paying off. Well, I think that the big point of difference that we see with Parco, with the vets, Parco, Kelly, is they are the best surfers in the world when the waves are good. So if we see Jay Bay at 10 feet, Parco and Kelly and Mick are the guys to put your money on, you know. More reason why great swell should meet great locations and be surf dictating the WSL's future. Um, because look what happens. Great talent rises to the top. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. That's the style of surfing I prefer to watch. You know what I mean? Like 
watching um I don't know, some guy rip five turns at cloud break, like I don't know. Uh, I don't know who to give as an example, but like five turns on a medium sized wave at cloud break isn't that exciting to me, but watching Parco's flow is exciting to me. And when the waves are eight feet, that's what I want to watch. Yeah. So uh, great event. What else, Scott? What did you think of, there was an interesting moment when Rosie Hodge was on the, um, sort of on the set, if you will, where they were sitting down and chatting with her and she had her, her dress was like a different. She looked like she was auditioning for a Fox News Channel uh, hostess job or something. Like there were certain moments when her she showed a ton of leg, and there was certain moments where she showed no leg. And when she sat next to Kelly, her dress was like inched up way high. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> she's you noticed a, any She's of a newly married woman. Scott. No, no, I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying. I'm wondering if the production staff is like, hey. Could you move your dress up a little bit? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think. <laughs> Did that, you notice this, or is it just me? Uh, yes, I noticed it. Come on, I screenshotted it, and I got actually. This is not a joke. I got more text messages about Rosie throughout the event than I did about any of the surfing. Just like, <laughs> did you see Rosie with glasses? Did you see Rosie? With, you know? She looks like a librarian. <laughs> she's insane. So the reality is, uh, they're in Fiji. It's super hot, so she's wearing very little clothing. You know, and. Or short skirts or whatever it she is. She had a sundress on. And she yeah, kept, sundress. Somebody was telling her to inch it up and she was <laughs> showing her leg. I think so, dude. I think it was just a factor of how warm it is there. Yeah. But she can't help but look beautiful is the reality. Like, it's not like she's trying to flaunt anything. She's no, no, just gorgeous, you yeah. know? So, um, uh, yeah, we could do 10 minutes on that if you'd like to continue no, no, to. You know? no. I've dug a deep hole. I'm just going to sit in it for a while. <laughs> Um, no, we're all a huge fan, obviously, of Rosie. She does a um, great job. And I didn't, as far as her her commentary, um, spot on. Yeah. You know? I have yeah. no problem with it. Yeah. Um, by the way, we play Fantasy Surfer, fantasysurfer.com, not the WSL's version. We have a clubhouse with 530 or 40 people in it. And um, there's also a wager that takes place, which usually has about 30 people in it. So if you want to play, go to fantasysurfer.com, go to the clubhouse and sh- search Spit. I changed the name, Spit. Oh, cool. Um, and then just you set a team and you join. It's free to play and it's really fun. And this was the lowest scoring event I think we've ever had. Like 500 points. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who won um, overall, but the winner in, among the people who wagered, it was like 723, where normally guys are scoring 1,000. Did, did I wager for the entire year? Did you I, did. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. And but how did I do? Not very well, how but better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I won. I think like you got 650 and I got like 620. I kicked something. your ass again. How many has it been? Almost all the events this all year. All of the events this year. I hate to admit time. it, dude. I've, I have taken you down in all of the events this year. During our Fantasy Surfer Clubhouse competition. Overall, you're over. And I'm not proud of it. I'm going to make a strong charge, but it's... Yeah, it's, put Wilk on your team. It's pretty, Watch that just go down. He's so expensive. That's the thing. I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on him if... If you he want was, 11 million. Yes. Yeah. When I got to pick him or John John, I got to go John John every yeah. time. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, dude, you're beating me. I don't know what to say. It's just Keep saying it's it. the way it is. There was a couple people who got a thousand points in this event, but um, nobody that wagered. Uh, so, a couple of other things in non WSL related surf news. Um, 
Keppa Acero, we talked about him having a near-fatal wipeout at Mundaka a few months ago. Mm-hmm. He just released a video yesterday um, recounting the event and kind of reflecting on it. And there's footage of the, the session and footage of him in the hospital. Basically, he wiped out, hit his head on the bottom very, very hard, knocked him unconscious. I think it did actually break his neck, break a couple vertebrae, and he had to get rescued and taken into the beach. He would have died if it wasn't for the other surfers' rescue efforts. And the very same thing happened yesterday at Skelton Bay. Oh, that's right. I saw that. border at a sand bottom left point, yeah. like Mundaka is, uh, broke his neck. And yep. was rescued by some Hawaiian surfers that were there. Eli the Olson. Right, Eli. Yeah. And um, who, oh, Josh Moniz, I think, was oh, on okay. the scene. There was quite a few guys on scene. Um, but the same issue. Yeah. Brutal Sam Bottom left, um, snapped the guy's neck. Well, this, I think, um, doesn't, we don't need to, we've already talked about it when this incident happened. But I did want to just comment on a couple of quotes that Kepa Acero had in this video. Uh And he's just basically explaining – I suppose with any near-death experience, you become very reflective on your life and introspective. And so he talks about time is what concerns him most now uh, with who and what he chooses to spend it on. And his exact quote that I wanted to share with you, Scott, is, quote, time is the only thing that separates us from death, end quote. Wow. I thought that was profound and worth sharing. Guys going deep. The only thing that's separating us from death is time. So who do you want to spend your time with, Scott? What do you want to spend your time doing? That is the question that we have. Well, you know what? Sadly, this is a a time to mention that a friend of mine died yesterday. What? Yeah. And a lot of people know this gentleman. He was a really world-class longboard surfer. And his name was Chris Olivas. And Chris Olivas competed uh, on the longboard circuit back in the 80s and 90s. He was a prominent member of Donald Takayama's surf team. And um, and like I said, many, many people know Chris. And he was a champion, a champion surfer. But there was a wrong way driver in Fallbrook, much like two weeks ago when Bur- uh, Paul Burke, right? Yeah, Fallbrook. Um, same area, wrong way driver. Um, mowed into Chris yesterday and killed Chris Olivas. And this was a guy that I, I knew really well. I competed against him. And we hung out. And we had a lot of laughs and a lot of good times. And a lot of the people in that sort of 80s, early 90s competitive longboard world knew Chris really well. And so um, it's with a heavy heart that we have to say, you know, rest in peace, Chris. Was he in a car? I don't know the... Uh, like, was it a head-on collision, or was he just a pedestrian? Or I'm not sure. You know, body? I just saw it on Facebook yesterday afternoon. It just Gnarly. Like, kind of rocked rocked our world a little bit. It is. That's tough, man. Yeah. happens more and more frequently the older we get, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, brutal. Well, I thought um, you were going to segue that into the uh, big fire at the Pucas factory, which thankfully nobody pa- died in, but pretty heavy situation there. Uh, Pucas, the largest surfboard factory in Europe, went up in flames. I guess they were doing some construction there, a lot of flammable materials, and um, something caught fire. They don't have the actual information on how it was started yet because it's all too new, but the entire factory and the surrounding buildings actually uh, 
got completely demolished by this blaze that raged for over five hours. Took 20 minutes for the initial fire trucks to show up. Chris Christensen left a pretty harrowing account on his Instagram because he was there shaping boards at the time, and he was actually the last guy out of the factory. And he was he heard fire alarms, and then he saw a woman just r- start screaming at him in Spanish, and he knew that something was serious, so he dropped everything. There was a lot of um, shaping machines going and other noise. So even though he heard the fire alarms, it was a little bit drowned out by those other noises, and he didn't really take it that seriously until he saw the woman screaming at him. So he just dropped everything and ran out, and he was the last guy out of the building. So, Yeah, the Alatu surfboard factory in yep. Basque, in the Basque country where – as you mentioned, Puka surfboards are manufactured. So that's, I mean, we're glad that everyone's safe. We hope they have fire insurance and we look forward to getting them up on their feet and a new building uh, built and, and them getting going. I've ASAP. actually, I've been in that building. Oh, yeah. I toured it like two years ago. Yeah. Um, really, so it's like a maze of um Rooms, shaping bays, uh, storage areas. Like, it's a pretty big... I mean, not only is it big, but it's scary to think. Like, if a fire was raging, you could easily be in the back of the maze and not know and have zero exit, you know? Really? Yeah. There's not a lot of exits. Do you no. not remember seeing, like, fire exits? No. Like signs or no. anything? No. <laughs> wow. So, it's kind of remarkable, actually, that everybody got out unscathed, I guess. Well, it was in the evening, right? It was... I, I thought the fire yeah, broke right. out in the evening. 5 p.m. and was able to be put out by 10.30. So, um, yeah, you're right. Maybe a lot of people were gone at that point. But, yeah, super scary situation. So Yeah, that's sad. Well, um, let's see, David. Huntington Beach oh. has reached a new level of lameness. Oh, I thought you were going to say hero status. <laughs> no. Uh, organized chaos yesterday, and I'll quote a little from Surfline. That's what a gathering of 500-plus surfers looks like, a crowd which amassed yesterday, Tuesday, in Huntington Beach during a record-breaking paddle-out attempt. All said and done, the final total was 511 people, record-broken. And there it is, I quote, the city of Huntington Beach wrote in a tweet, Mayor Delglisi holding up the Guinness World Records certificate for the world's biggest paddle out. Congratulations to all involved. End quote. David, the city of Huntington Beach is absolutely tripping over itself to be acknowledged as Surf City and in the and in so doing has succeeded in becoming joke city. This city should be famous for Bud Yamas, for the Caton Pro-Am, for riots, for God's sakes, for Aki, for Tom Kern, or harken back to the U.S. Championship in the 60s when surfers wore helmets and left blood and flesh on the pier. That's when Huntington Beach was Surf City, when it wasn't trying so hard. This is completely lame. This event symbolizes everything that is wrong with so-called surf culture. City leaders that can't surf in a back room, dreaming up some way to bring media attention to itself, knowing they can easily sway the egos of the masses. Paddling out and holding hands is not noteworthy. Paddling out is not an achievement. It just means you've made it more crowded. Way to go. What's next, David? More, most surfers to pee in their wetsuits? Most surfers to check the surf and call their bros. Most fat surfers to ask another surfer to help them zip up their wetsuit. 
This is completely lame in Huntington Beaches. I couldn't believe that the city could get lower, but it has. Uh, is this in line with your core surfing values? This rant that you're doing right now? <laughs> it is completely ridiculous. <laughs> Which part? Your rant or Huntington Beach? A Guinness Book of World Records for most people to paddle out and hold hands. How many? What was the number? 5'11". Five, 5'11". Five, eleven. Five, eleven? Yeah, I'm not proud of it, dude. I mean, I think that you're saying, what will Huntington Beach known for? I would like to think the history books will reflect there was an iconic surf podcaster that came from the depths of the show. Depths is correct. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know. I, I, I actually wasn't even going to bring up this story because I knew that it wouldn't actually reflect well on my home it's not even my hometown dude that's oh, the thing good for you you've disowned it no i'm Make saying note. i've city lived, leaders david I, scales is no longer a member of your community i've lived there for 10 years it's not a hometown right that's means 25 of my years i lived elsewhere so and i think 10 am might I be enough too, am i being too critical <laughs> no i mean this is lame. It's terrible this dude. is completely lame it's terrible it's stupid most people to paddle out and hold hands. You've got to be kidding me. Like, that could be an onion story. <laughs> right? It could be. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Those people are just trying way too hard. All right. Well, this... Um, Meanwhile, it's pumping it in Santa Cruz at Surf City. Um, so, a listener sent me a prospectus for Aki's Wave Pool. Surf lakes. Yes. From one lame thing to another. Aki will endorse anything. I think Aki endorsed the Huntington Beach paddle out. He's like the Shaquille O'Neal of surfing. He's just trying, try this gold bond medicated cream. Totally. Aki uses it. Dude, Shaquille O'Neal literally is in Buick commercials. Like a Buick, dude. And so is Aki. I mean, that's a grandpa car. You know what I mean? He has a. He literally has a pineapple soda on the market. Like anything that comes in. Yeah. So what's Aki endorsing now? Surf, surf lakes. Right. There's some pretty pretty interesting information. Guess. I've dreamed about it my whole life, and it's well, finally coming to fruition. Okay. So turns out um, Aki is not behind the technology. Really? Believe it or not. No way. Whereas Kelly Slater with KS Wave Pools, he is the the spearhead of that tech and of the investment and of all of it, all the research, the passion behind the project, it wouldn't exist without Kelly. Wave. Uh, some marketing guy goes, we need to get some professional surfer surf- from Australia on board. Yeah, exactly. Somebody goes, how about Aki? He'll do anything. They need, well, they need a professional surf ad, uh, advisor. Right. And Aki is that guy. Cool. So a listener sent me this thing. The brand name is Surf Lakes. Yes. And it's a little bit different than these other wave pools that we've seen. I'm going to read straight from the document. Um, Surf Lakes works by generating concentric waves from a central wave generator that radiate outwards. So each wave breaks on a variety of submerged reefs and shorelines. Each reef, each reef captures the energy of the swell at different points and shapes the resulting wave, thus creating a variety of sizes and shapes of waves. The number of surf breaks generated by each single wave is only limited by the size of the pool and the number of surf breaks. In the model below, each wave generates eight surfing waves with four different learner styles. This allows up to 12 surfers to surf on each wave that is produced. The wave generator is oscillated to create a set of waves, much like the ocean, with breaks resembling a 
quote, peak wave seen at quality breaks like Duranbaugh or, um, or quality reef breaks like Pipeline in Hawaii, if you can believe that. So the has way- this thing been built or do they just have a model? So they have uh, – no, they have three models. They built a 1 to 25 scale back in 2014. They built a 1 to 10 scale and a 1 to 5 scale. They have not built a full scale version yet. But even on the 1 to 5 scale, it works based on – what well, yeah, I mean, look, they can send a man to the moon. They can build artificial waves. It's just a matter yeah. of fun. Does it is it is it a business? Exactly. Like, yeah, for a million dollars a ride, but nobody's got a million dollars a ride, so no one's going to build it. So limiting factors in the past have been quality of the wave and the size of the waves, the low number of waves produced per hour. You know, in Slater's pool, it's one every five minutes, and then the high cost, the high energy cost per wave. So this model actually has eliminated a lot of those limitations because it's generating literally up to 2,400 waves per hour. Um, And the model is designed to be a standalone wave park, or they've also got models in place to be implemented at existing wave park or water parks and or theme parks. So they've got a business plan in place for like Disneyland could just buy this and where traditional theme parks investment for a new ride or attraction is $20 million for like a roller coaster or as much as $200 million for like a Harry Potter land at Universal Studios. This estimated cost is between 15 to 30 million. So right in line with a roller coaster basically, but adds a tremendous amount of value and a unique asset over a roller coaster. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan. I love the. Con- I, I mean, we're. It's just a matter of time before these things start popping up all yeah. over the place. And the more people and the more businesses that start to enter the fray, the, the better off we're all going to be. And um, I, I don't know if you saw the the thing on Surfline. I put it on my Instagram of um, that Mateus Hurdy kid at Wave Gardens, the Cove Wave, which is pretty incredible wave. Mm-hmm. And the kid's just ripping. Yeah. And I'm sure that. This Australian wave, what's it called? Surf Lakes. Surf Lakes. Um, I'm sure it'll be killer. I hope it gets built. I hope there's some investors. It sounds like they're looking for some money. And yeah, I, that all that information is in this doc. Yeah. Hopefully it'll get built. You know, look, it wouldn't be beyond the state of uh, Queensland or the government in Australia to fund something like this because it's in their nature to to be sporting and because of their sort of socialized democracy or whatever it is, like they've got some funds. The government's behind funding their sports as opposed to the United States where it's all privately done. I think the reality of the situation is um, everybody wants to surf. Or I mean like a lot of people in the world want to surf who simply don't have access to the ocean. And so that's going to be the next huge boom for surfing is things like this where it opens it up to everybody. And – I, I mean, you and I have had this conversation before, but it's just not the same thing. Like when I gave my core surfing values, all, all of them are based under the uh, pretense of going out into mother nature and being enveloped by it, you know, and um, in the way that you would go for a hike or something in the woods. And this eliminates that, you know, this eliminates that. And it actually really just focuses on what my core beliefs were not about, which is being competitive, trying to up my wave count, trying to surf better than I did the last session before. The wave pool, 
now the wave pool model is based on those things. And so it's very, very different than my surf experience. It's, it's a different thing entirely. I, I would argue that if surf competition finds its way into these wave pools and these wave parks um, and they move away from the ocean for surf competitions, that it'll probably eliminate surfing competition within 10 years. You won't see because no one will buy into it. Yeah. No one's going to everyone's going to go. That's not surfing. I, I think it just surfing becomes a different thing. You know, like surfing isn't won't be about the experience anymore. It'll be about perfecting a maneuver. Right. Right. But that's not surfing. Right. The, the definition of it changes. It's not how you and I know surfing. They will still call it surfing, though. It'll be it's going to be a grand experiment and a lot of opportunity. So it's going to be fun to watch it unfold. Well, you and I are going to be telling our grandkids back in my day, used to we, be used sharks. To, we used to go into the ocean to go surfing, you know, <laughs> like in the oceans will be polluted, like beyond surfability. Oh so like we used to go in there. Yeah. We'd get a sinus infection every once in a while, but we didn't grow an extra toe. You know, <laughs> that was part of the fun. So I already feel, feel like old man scales right now. Yeah. Old man scales. <laughs> Well, my must-see moment is this footage that I put up of the right. Um, Kirby Brown, I mm-hmm. think it is. Kirby Brown backdoors this massive section at the right backside. It's pretty incredible. It is. You can see the footage on Vimeo. I think it's also on Surfer Magazine, um, their website. Or you can go to my Instagram account, and it's on there. Uh, the short version of it, but um, it's cool footage. It's super gnarly backdoor um, section. And because he's going backside and it's just one of those mutant slab waves in Australia, it's pretty incredible. And that's my must-see moment. reason why it's incredible is like the vast majority of the the ride, it's unimaginable that he would make it. When you see him, did he get towed in? Had, I think he must have. Yes, he did. He did. He did get towed in. Okay. Yes, so as he... Um, start drops in on the wave there's no line out and it there's also nowhere for him to go like you have to go into the pit that you can't straighten out you can't go over the back but even as he's going into the pit you're just like there's zero line for him to make it out of this thing and it's in slow-mo and the wave starts to mutate and change and through each subtle change there's still no way out and then he just sticks to his line and somehow it morphs into a makeable line and it's unbelievable that he just committed to it. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, He's dropping down into the trough to a place where you're going, why is he going into the lip of the wave? Like his line is aimed so that he will get axed. And then as you say, the wave bends in such a fashion so that that line is now the line that you have to take. Right. And um, I just imagine he's probably surfed it so many times that he knows what what needs to be done. And so he initiated that what appears to be a crazy line and, um, of course, makes it. Yeah, it's a remarkable wave. Um, At a a place that we've seen tons of remarkable waves, that one set a new standard for sure. Um, I've got a must-see moment, and it's actually a photograph. Corey Wilson has become one of my favorite surf photographers to follow. And it's a photo that he posted on May 23rd. There's something about 
by the way, his Instagram is at Corey underscore Wilson, and Corey has an E in it. There's something about the way that photos um, unfold on Instagram. Like as you're scrolling, you see the top of the photo first, obviously, and you scroll into it. And I don't think that all, I think the vast majority of photos that live on Instagram are better served on hanging on your wall or in a magazine or just in a different platform. Like Instagram's kind of the lowest form of displaying your work. But occasionally there's an image that unfolds beneficially on Instagram because you see the top of it and then you kind of see the thing roll into your awareness. And this is one of those photos. It's composed in such a way that when you see the top, you can't even tell what the photo is going to be. And then when you see the full thing as it gets unveiled, it's actually um, you have to stare at it. It requires your full attention because you're not even sure what it's what's composed within it. So it's actually a black and white photo, a very wide angle, pulled back kind of of a lineup in South Africa with a mountain in the background and a surfer getting barreled on a wave. But it's just freaking breathtaking. Here, look at it, Scott. Bang. The surfer is unnamed. It's a black and white kind of subtle variation between the blacks and the whites. But it just captivated me. I saw it. I was scrolling and I stopped, stared. And it got more of my attention on Instagram than any other photo has in a very long time. So that's my must-see moment. I'm going to post it on... Cool photo. I'm going to post it on Surf Splendor's Instagram. And then, of course, on um, the websites and all that sort of stuff. But Corey Wilson, dude, well worth a follow, for sure. Fair enough. Duke and Kook? Yeah, my Kook are... um, I have plurals, Kooks. Kelly Jordy, JJF, Gabe, and Owen for losing in the early rounds during the outer known Fiji Pro and letting these other guys back into the world title race. Um, those five guys sort of had, uh, and Adriano too for that matter, they had, I don't know, they, you just assume that that's a spot where those guys are going to have a good result and sort of start to crystallize their place and their position as we move through the year here. And instead, they just sort of opened up the Pandora's box for everybody. Yep, I agree. Um, my kook is Stab Magazine for copying you, Scott. What? Did you see this? No. What'd they do? In an article posted uh, about a day and a half ago entitled Reimagining the Dream Tour. <laughs> no way, really? Yes. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds familiar. It's written by uh, your buddy, actually, Jake Howard. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Jake. I taught him all the plagiarizing tools I've known. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. boy, Jake. I'm proud of you. Like, here's the deal, dude. Not a full kook because, I mean, we pull stories. We're doing a news show, and so we pull stories off stab all the time. Yeah, but we're not journalists. No. <laughs> I love Jake. I, I'm so, glad he... It's okay for What them. did he write? He amended it. It's not exactly what you talked about in our no. last show for a dream tour. He amended it quite a bit, a yeah. bit, yeah. but it is the same. I mean, it was pulled from this show, I would argue. Um, he's saying essentially the same thing you're saying where fewer stops, strategic, fewer surfers. So stop number one for Jake is in March, New South Wales. So um, it doesn't have to be at Gold Coast. It can include Stratty, Burley, Lennox, or even Byron. 
but just basically two days at a world-class point break. Stop number two, though, is different than yours. He says uh, Punta Lobos, Chile. So kind of a big wave, very consistent big wave option for the world tour, which I like. Stop number three, Skeleton Bay, Namibia, uh, which would be in May, which is similar to like Jack McCoy's Billabong Challenge back in 95, you know, just a long roping left. It'd be, I don't, again, infrastructure wise, I don't know that they could pull that off. It's probably a no go, but seriously, it'd be an unbelievable event. Uh, June. Salinas Cruz, Mexico. Scott also shakes his head no. July, Padang Badang, Indonesia. Could be cool. Yeah. Stop number six, August, Chopu, Tahiti. Stop number seven, Spot X, bringing back the rip curl search concept. So we can go anywhere with that. Maybe uh, Cloud Break, maybe Puerto Escondido. Uh, stop number, I guess I'm on, oh, eight, Rincon. California. Scott says no. Scott number nine. <laughs> uh, P-Pass. Micronesia. Well, look. Um, I applaud Jake's efforts here. My <laughs> point is, what I was trying to get at was, we don't really focus on any spots. We focus right. on swell. Yeah, yeah. And really, the entire event, the entire season is more or less like Rip Curl Search. Now, we do... Focus on regions, understanding that, hey, let's focus on Australia in February and March. You know, like, and, and, you know, I won't go over everything I went through last week, last time we did the show, but um, Nant, Skelton Bay would be incredible, but I think it presents way too many infrastructure challenges. I know. We're um, not. Rincon, the same thing. It's just not conducive to a massive event. Um, well, it's generous of you to applaud his efforts. I liked that. That was charitable. <laughs> I applaud Jake's efforts, however. I think, well, I guess even deeper than that is that this isn't necessarily something that like took a brain surgeon to figure out. Like, if I can figure it out, anyone can. You know what I mean? And I think we've gotten to this place where they need to make some major changes mm-hmm. to... Um, the overall theme of what the world's tour looks like, you know, what it's all about. And it needs to be about great swells at great locations. Totally. Wherever they may be. Well, look. And I think that's what Jake's saying as well. I think it's, we're all in agreement. I think the WSL is probably in agreement. Like it just, it's an ever evolving thing. Yeah. And so, but I think we're all at that point where we recognize the direction that it needs to go. So it'll take time to obviously implement the changes. But, uh, yeah, I think we're there. So, obviously, stop 10 for Jake is, of course, pipeline. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, the, my thing is if, if they don't – if the WSL doesn't move quick, like they have to adapt. And I don't think they're in a place of – I think yeah. they're in a place of, hey, let's build it up and sell it, like which is what we know that they're trying to do. Yeah. At some point, Dirk Ziff's like, you know what? The, the What's the term about the beauty being off the rose or whatever? The bloom. The bloom, yeah. Bloom is off and, the rest. And I just need to sell this thing. And yeah. so it's not a time for that corporation, that company, the WSL, to be like, hey, let's completely change. And what's going to happen is Red Bull or somebody is going to go, you know what? We're going to do our own world tour. Yeah. I don't need the top 16. I've got 16 great surfers. I've got Keppa. I've got a Ritz. I've got, you know, you, I mean, there's a million red hot surfers that'll go surf great swell. Albie Layer. Albie Layer. Matt Miola. The Gudowskis brothers. Dane Reynolds. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. 
And so as fans, that's what we want. We want competition. I mean, that Red Bull uh, event at ours is a great example. Cape Fear. Cape Fear. I'll watch that all day long. And Best I don't event care ever. if Kelly's not in it because they've got a great wave at a great location. Yep. And that's all you need. Surfers, the labor is easy. It's everywhere. Totally. And Red Bull can afford to pay more than WSL can. Yeah. And because I sense that the WSL isn't like Silicon Valley, let's move quick, let's be nimble, they're going to get stepped on. And so I'm just going, hey, WSL, wake up. This is going to happen. You need to get on it. Yep. And of course, I applied for the vice president's <laughs> job there and never received a, I could have saved the day over there. Maybe I still have. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Um, Who knows? Do you have a Duke? Yeah, my Duke is Connor O'Leary. Wow. He's buttery smooth surfing in the outer known Fiji Pro. And uh, for pretty much putting a stranglehold on the rookie of the year. You're a believer. Yeah. Wow. Sweet, dude. Yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, my Duke, I've got two, but my first Duke comes from the outer known Fiji Pro as well. It was the aforementioned Joel Parkinson. Would you like to know why? Not really. All right, then. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. You love the way he links no. his transitions? No. No, for a very specific reason. All right. It's because of his, um, um, what he did with priority in two different heats. He actually was incorrectly gifted priority by the judges, and he told his competitor, screw it, you go on the next wave. He did it with Jeremy Flores, and he did it with Stewie Kennedy. I'm going to let Ronnie Blakey explain it to you, Scott. I'm going to drop this right into... It's kind of tough, and Joel's actually saying maybe Stu should have priority, and he had a similar scenario yesterday. Yeah. Jeremy Flores lost priority at one point, and Joel said to Jeremy, don't worry, I know you didn't paddle for that wave. You can have the next one. Out in the water, he said that to Jeremy. Wow. So he was playing the sportsman, so diplomatic. sportsmanship card, and he's doing it again right now. And they've actually uh, reconsidered that priority at Joel's request, and it looks like it's going to be switched, I think, to red, because it wasn't Stu's fault. He was stuck on the inside, and the ski couldn't get to him. Yeah. yeah that oh, is well, good stuff. How rad is that, dude? That's really cool. I love it. So I, I don't know of a lot of other competitors that would do that. You know, they just want to win the heat, so they're going to take priority. Only so. one that's in his last <laughs> year on tour. It's reflective of what we said earlier. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like his headspace is like, dude, I'm here to have to win, I, and I want to win fairly. Right. You know? So I thought that was cool. That my my second Duke is... Um, I only have one. You had two kooks, didn't you? Or two must si- moments. I had six kooks. <laughs> You had two must-see moments and like six kooks. So you're making up for lost times on shows that you didn't bring the kooks. Um, Nice job, Pop. Thank you. So my my second Duke is Volcom and Surfer Magazine for bringing Dane Reynolds back into competition this last week. The inaugural Cobblestone Classic was held at Lowers. Why are you shaking your head? That thing's lame. Why is it lame? Because right now they're down at Lowers clogging up the lineup when it should be open to the public. It's a public surfing beach. Oh, my god! They have enough contests at Lowers. Dude, you contradict yourself every show. There's a little... Look, just how many events at Lowers should there be? Like, really? Why do we have another contest It's a one-day event, and it not... So, along with bringing the industry together for a day of camaraderie and competition, it also serves... reading the press release? Yes, I am, actually. That sounded horrible. It also serves as a chance... There's a little bit of gastric juice in the back of my throat right now from vomiting, so... Spit it, Scott. Spit it. 
Uh, it also serves as a chance for the industry to give back to the local community. How? Fo- following the event, a contribution was made to San Onofre Parks How Foundation. About this? Give the contribution and don't take the waves all day. Nope. There's and a it killer helps, swell right now. It helps support their summer enrichment program and provides outdoor learning experiences for youth in Santa Ana and the Los Angeles area. You can do all of that without taking the waves from the public. Those hey, are they public brought Dane, Dane Reynolds back into competition. <laughs> That's enough for me. I want to see Dane. Where did he go all my all this time? You didn't even see any of his eats. I watched him surf. Oh my god! Online. He didn't surf that good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I mean, he surfed well, but he didn't surf to he Dane's ability care. level. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll be there. What time is my heat? He, he surfed enough to bring his team into third place. So let's, <laughs> oh, my God. The cobblestone so, classic. It's, first of all, it can't be a classic if this is the first one. Yeah, it's an instant classic. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, right. So here's the deal, Scott. Yeah. Um, it's a team competition, and each team has... Two guys who work in the industry, one Grom and one professional surfer. It was won by Lost Surfboards team, which had Crosby Colapinto, which is Griffin's younger brother, um, Nate Yeomans, which is the pro, and the Kobayashi brothers, two local lower surfers, Kay and Shay. Red Bull's team got second place. Channel Island's team got third place, which had Dane Reynolds... Uh, Nathaniel Curran, which, by the way, Nathaniel Curran rips. Yeah, yeah. I think he won the U.S. Open one year. He did. He did. The year right before it was a $100,000 prize purse. <laughs> it was like he won twenty grand, and then the next year, Sippo took the hundred k, um. which is a bummer. Nathaniel, though, I mean, at that time, Nathaniel, I think he finished one position outside of qualifying for the World Tour. Yeah. And I always felt like that was the biggest ripoff ever. Like, he is a world tour level surfer there's a million world tour level surfers i know it's a shame dude there's quite a few guys that rip watching him at that event i was like he's still kind of at the top of his game nathaniel Curran will be on the red bull great surf dictator exactly dictates our our future tour he outsurfed dane in this event um well it sounds like i don't know well, Nathaniel, by the way, his job, his day job now, is running the Channel Islands team. Oh, good. Travis Lee used to have that, and then Travis went over to Kelly's company with Kelly. Yeah. And so Dane filled that – or not Dane. Nathaniel filled that slot, and so I'm glad to see him traveling the world on tour with the world's best surfers. Yes. For one of the best board manufacturers. Yes. So good for him. Cobblestone Classic. An instant classic. Taking your waves one event at a time. Dude, you're a walking contradiction. <laughs> Why? What am I contradicting you? Because on one show, you'll say that you're anti um, doing an event at a limited resource, and then another show, you're for it. <laughs> That's why. You want me to pull up the tape, Scott? All right. Let's have more events at Lowers. Good idea. Let's do an event there every week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good show, Scott. Good sh- good spit. Spitting. We were spitting. Spewing Spitting contradictions. Talk. Spewing. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Until next time. How do people get a hold of you? Oh, you can get a hold of me at surftalksandiego at gmail.com. Surftalksandiego at gmail.com. Or scott at boardroomshow.com. Just give him one. Scott at boardroomshow.com. Scott at boardroomshow.com. What about Instagram? Instagram? At boardroomshow. At boardroomshow. Yeah. 
Um, do you ever think about, I mean, maybe this is an off air conversation, but do you ever think about having a personal account and then the boardroom show account? Yes, I have. Are I you going do to? That. I don't know. I probably should. I need to separate those two things. Cause when I have opinions of the contradictory nature, as I just did, it's probably not good well, for I, business. I saw that a couple weeks ago. Did you then delete or disable comments on something? Uh, maybe. What was it about? I think it was Politics? a repost of Nap- Napkin Apocalypse's video of a bird eating something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, I got all political yeah. and somebody got all butthurt about it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? They're probably right. I don't need to get all political on here. I saw the comment section go on fire. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I was just trying to defend the United States of America from Russia and... Apparently, I got attacked. All of a sudden, the friggin' Benghazi's and the you know jet fuel does doesn't melt steel girders, and just every political cliche in the world came out. It's so crazy. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Believe me. I know you cannot. There's no intelligent discourse. No, there's you know? none. There is none. Um, well, at boardroom show is Scott's Instagram. Mine is at Surf Splendor, and then my email address is hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, reminder: download the. Sp- this podcast on Spit's own feed. Click over right now, search Spit. You might have to search a couple layers because um, it's so new. It doesn't pop up at the top, but search it with the word surf maybe, and then click subscribe. That's where you find the show. Okie dokie. Well, um, until next time, when I would like to discuss your interview with Chaz Smith oh, a little yeah. bit more and the whole Reno Matt Warshaw uh, uh, love affair that went down on Blood Instagram. Feud. Blood feud. And um, but probably in two weeks that'll be old news. But who knows? Maybe we'll discuss that stuff. Let's revive it. Revive Let's throw it. some gasoline back on. <laughs> okay. Well, until next time, adios and aloha.